they, you know, took in for a scan and ultrasound of the baby. And like, it's just like suddenly it's like one small moment and everything changes. And they were, they just said that they couldn't find a heartbeat. Welcome back to a fresh story. This episode is part of a special series for October, as it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. We are honored to hold space for these profound conversations and share these stories. These stories may be of grief, but they are also of hope, resilience, and most of all, unconditional love. As a reminder, be gentle with your heart. And if you are not able to listen to this episode at the moment, we understand and we're holding you close. These conversations will change you as they have changed us. I'll let these amazing women tell you in their own words. Nikki Dinky is a chef, author, mom, TV host, and comedy writer. I was first introduced to Nikki when she was on season nine of Food Network Star in 2013. She seemed so lovely and so funny and so relatable, incredibly sweet. And spoiler alert, she is all of those things. She seemed like somebody I'd want to be friends with. When I watched the show in the summer of 2013, I was about seven, eight months pregnant with my first son. So when Nikki came back to the season nine finale, and announced that she too was pregnant, I was so excited for her. My son was born in August, and in the flurry of new parenthood, I forgot to check up on Nikki on social media. And then months went by, and I started to worry. Where was Nikki? Where was her baby? I remember vividly going to her website and seeing the blog post. Nikki's daughter, Willa, was stillborn, on her due date, November 25th, 2013. I will never forget reading about the lemonade cheesecakes for Willa. And I never forgot Willa or Nikki. My heart just broke for her and I thought of her often. In the years since, Nikki and I have bopped around similar media circles and have some mutual friends. And so when it came time to produce this series, I knew I had to talk to her. I wanted to know more about her journey with loss and grief, and of course, I wanted to know more about Willa. Almost 10 years later, and Nikki describes every moment with Willa so beautifully and honestly, and with such grace and reverence for her daughter. I'll let her tell you a little more. Yeah. Oh, well, let me, you know, uh, it has been this fall, um, will be 10 years um, since we had our stillbirth. So, you know, to kind of go back a little bit, we had decided to get pregnant. Um, and it's funny because this pregnancy, unlike our ones following it, was actually very easy. The other ones were much more difficult even just to get pregnant. Um, but our daughter, Willa, was conceived kind of quickly and slightly unexpectedly. Um, we were ready. We were definitely ready. But uh, we didn't know the timing was going to be what it was. And, you know, then we went on with this pregnancy, you know, as, you know, 30-year-old, 34-year-old people, ready, excited, 
in a very committed relationship. And we were just really excited about the idea of expanding our family, something that we knew we wanted. It just, it all felt like these things that you had thought about your whole childhood. I want to have two kids, one boy, one girl. And I want to have them when I'm 30 and 32. And I want to do this. And at that moment, it felt like that was going to happen, you know? Um, And so we pretty quickly on in our pregnancy knew that there was something wrong. We had uh, cystic hygroma, which is just um, some extra fluid on the back of the baby's neck. And that's one of those things they test for right around that three month mark where they usually kind of give you the, you're okay, or maybe things aren't okay. Um, So that was one of the indicators that something could be wrong. But actually the cystic hygroma, the fluid itself doesn't actually mean anything. It's just there, but it means that they could have a very high chance of something like Down syndrome and other conditions, very serious conditions, many of which would make them not um, viable. Um, So we went through the process of getting actual, you know, um, a DNA test done on the baby. So they were able to really get, you know, a good picture of what's going on with the baby. Um, we were very ready for a lot of diagnoses and were unsure of some, some how to handle some of them. Um, but we got nothing and it was fine. And we were like, oh, okay. Like we kind of made it first past that first hurdle. And so they said, listen, if nothing's coming up on this, then it means that there's a very high chance that there's something wrong with their heart. Often a heart condition that means that they would never be able to live outside the womb. But we can't actually look at their heart until almost six months long. So we went through the first, you know, more than half of our pregnancy. Uh, I didn't tell anyone I was pregnant. I was skinnier and younger then. um, So I really was able to hide it. And we just kind of ignored it to a degree. And then at six months, we did an actual scan of her heart. She was big enough. And they couldn't find anything wrong. (laughs) And so there was this moment where we had been like holding our breath for six months where we felt like we could relax. Like we were going to fucking have a baby, (laughs) you know, like we were going to have a baby. We had actually had a miscarriage before Willa. So there was a part of me that said, you, you have a hard time with a pregnancy, you move on, you do it again. So I think I, at that point still felt like it was kind of a pregnancy, you know, and less of like, there's this baby. I believe we did not find out the gender for a while, um, though we knew it because we weren't really sure how to handle it all. I don't think I was super attached. I think I was kind of like, you can kind of live in your normal life. It's amazing. You know, like you just kind of keep going. But when they told us that her heart was fine, they literally were like, there's nothing wrong with your baby. Like, congratulations, go have a baby. And we were like, oh, okay. You know, and it felt like this weight was lifted and we were allowed to be excited. We were allowed to tell people and, you know, like uh, I had a baby shower that was a surprise and it was so sweet because I just like couldn't believe we were suddenly there. You know, they did all the regular scans. Uh, Everything was looking great. There was literally no reason to worry besides those first two indicators. And so we had a very normal pregnancy. On her due date, I wasn't really feeling her. Um, And I just wasn't even like that aware or worried. I kind of just was like, oh, well, like, I don't know. Maybe Evan, my husband, finally asked, like, when's the last time you felt? I was like, oh, I guess it has been a minute. 
Um, so we did what we normally do is, you know, that was like a Sunday and we went out to brunch and I got hot chocolate and orange juice and all the things that like usually would make her kind of work up into a frenzy. And I still wasn't really feeling anything. And at that point, honestly, my only thought was, okay, like we thought we were going to like have this baby in one way. Maybe we're going to have to like have a C-section or be induced. Maybe like the fluid's low or like there's a million things that happen when you're about to give birth. And keep in mind that this was the day that I was due. This was 40 weeks. Um, I knew the baby was measuring at eight pounds and, you know, so, you know, I think we probably waited another couple hours. My husband was more nervous than me. I was like, this is fine. Like, this is just having a baby stuff. Finally, we went to the labor and delivery floor. And, you know, we had only gotten into that first area where they just kind of, like, let you lay down. You're not in a room or anything. And they, you know, took in for a scan and ultrasound of the baby. And, like, it's just, like, suddenly, it's, like, one small moment. And everything changes. And they they just said that they couldn't find a heartbeat. And, like... I mean, that's something I think of when we had had our miscarriage at 10 weeks. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't find a heartbeat. Like, this baby, is there's a baby there. And so we really, like, there was definitely, like, that process of, like, denial. This is no. Like, this is just ridiculous. My husband probably got there faster than me. And then it's a whirlwind. And then it's it's funny, and I don't blame them, but I think the medical profession is so worried about your health, you know, and, and the health of your baby in that, in some cases. And so they were much more focused on, okay, so we got to get this baby out. <laughs> you know, we got to blah, blah, blah. Um, I was quickly informed that after a stillbirth, they do not want to do a C-section. I thought you just get the baby out, right? Like, and to a degree at that point, I was like, you get the baby out and you move on. And they were like, no, we really would prefer you to deliver this baby. Oh, yeah. No, they're like, your baby's dead. Um, we really don't know what's happening, what happened. We need to get you. We, we would like to induce you. Yeah, definitely within 20 minutes. I mean, very quickly. And that's the thing about stillbirths. And I think, you know, whenever someone goes through them, unfortunately, or they just, you know, someone that goes through them, that's why it's so important to talk about them because we never think about this. And so suddenly you're thrown into this situation where there's a lot of questions, you know, um, how are we getting this baby out? Are you going to have an autopsy? Do you want to have a priest here? Do you want to take photos? Do you, I'm like, what? I don't know. I've never thought of these things. I've never even considered if I lost a baby in this way like would I bury them would I cremate them like what this is just so many questions but the, the the first question is how do we deliver this baby so they pretty quickly were inducing me and you know got me hooked up to an IV to start induction medicines I don't even know it's such like a blur until you're then in labor the guy messed up my epidural so it wasn't really working and then they got to a point where I was far enough along. They were like, we'd really love for you just to push. Like if we give you more medicine, you know, like this could be all night. And so I actually delivered her pretty naturally. Um, you know, I delivered her with my eyes closed because I thought I thought I didn't want to see her. I thought in my head that maybe I would have this baby and move on. You know what I mean? Like to me at that moment, it was still this pregnancy and I had dealt with 
a miscarriage and pregnancy loss. And so I thought, okay, this is terrible and a huge waste of time, but I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to get my body back on track and we're going to try again. You know, like that's the only thought that I really had. And so they had asked us, do you want to see her? And also, you know, and before that, I actually gave birth to an eight pound, four ounce baby, um, which is just like, I don't know, a little insulting. <laughs> it's just something about maybe some people would actually find that experience um, nice because there is so few moments that you get with your baby that sometimes I think people like that connection. Um, but I just found it like this is just this is just just stupid. Like this is just like absurd. Um, so my husband really wanted to see Willa. I was less sure, but I was willing to go with him. And like, you know, if you ever are dealing or being a support system for someone with a stillbirth, like the number one thing I would say is like, make sure that they see that baby. You cannot not see your baby. You will regret it. I don't, there's no like if, hands or buts. Like you have to hold that baby. You know, it was holding Willow was the best moment of my life, you know? And there's a there's a picture where, you know, Evan was like, should I take a picture? I was like, I don't know. So we took some pictures and I was like, it sounds terrible, but I wanted to smile. And so like, I was like, I kind of want to smile in the picture. And he was like, you can smile because it did feel really good. You know, it felt good to, to hold that baby. And so... I'm so happy that we spent that time with her and I'm so happy that we took the pictures that we did. There was a photographer offering to take pictures. I thought that that was so weird. And so we declined that, which I definitely wish we didn't. And so, you know, meeting her, taking pictures, spending that time with her was really important. Um, it was probably like an hour and, you know, like, you know, she was getting colder and, you know, we just, we wanted to part ways with her when she felt like her baby. So we let her go, which was hard. And then, and then you let this baby go and then it's just nothing, you know, like there's all this action. There's all this stuff in, in this healthcare and here's what's happening. You're having a baby and and then suddenly it's just, it's just nothing. And I was very surprised at how quickly they wanted us out of the hospital. <laughs> um, and we weren't really ready to go. They also discharged us like in the middle of the night. So like it was late and just didn't feel right. I actually since then have uh, talked on some panels with um, NYU is the hospital that we were at. And they have changed their policy to let um, any stillbirths, uh, stay the night, <laughs> which seems kind of obvious, but it wasn't. Um, we had had her like in the morning ish, you know? So by the time it was the evening, I was actually cleared to go home. So you actually stay in the hospital way more for the baby than you do for your health as the mom who had the baby. Um, if I had a C-section, I would have stayed, but with a vaginal birth, everything's good. And they just send you home. Um, there was no, and there was no concern. There was no, you know, there was no reason for worry. Um, they gave us like a pamphlet. Um, they gave us a pamphlet. We appreciated the nurses that were just very nice. Like there was some that we really connected with that we felt like they were just really kind. Um, you know, there was, I think they did give us a folder. There was a list of like support groups and stuff. Um, but it wasn't very extensive. 
And then when we left, you know, my husband took it upon himself to, you know, the one thing he could do was try to make me better, this better, something better. And so he was very animate about finding a therapist. And we, as a couple, went to counseling very soon after. Um, so, you know, we we found that help. I think there's a lot of people and stories that I hear where they don't necessarily seek out that help because it can be really hard. I would never have done it by myself. You know, if this was a one on like I, you know, I needed somebody to push me into that. Um, and we did go to grief counseling and talked about Willa for years. We would go weekly um, or every other week. And that was a really important space, especially for me and my husband to continue to like check in, even as things like got better. It was like this nice space to be like, how are you doing? Cause you, you know, it, things change. So I really obviously recommend that. Um, but no, once we went home, then you're kind of just home. Um, we did decide to do an autopsy on her. Um, we found nothing wrong with her, you know, like there was that cystic hygroma. So it seems like something somewhere was wrong that maybe they don't even know about. But at the same time, we got our DNA tested. We got our heart looked at. We got an autopsy and there's literally nothing wrong with that baby. Um, but all the doctors told us that that was better than like some sort of disease that could be more genetic. And so we just kind of left. I mean, we had just moved into a new apartment. Um, and I think the really hard thing about a stillbirth, especially, I mean, in my unique case, one that happened on your due date, is when you come back into the world, there's all these people that don't know they don't even know that you lost a baby. All they think is that you've just had a baby and that you're on this very different path than you are. And so you end up with a lot of very awkward conversations with your doorman and the guy that you give your shirts to at the laundry place and the person who does your eyelashes. And like, you know, it's just, it's just really hard. And I don't even know, there's not even a better way to navigate it or a way that they could have been kinder. Like they just all thought we had a baby and we had to tell them that we didn't. And that was very awkward and uncomfortable, especially with people that aren't your real friends or family. Uh, I did have Evan go around. Um, we were in a pretty large building with a lot of people and try to spread the word. Um, but I would usually just say like, no, like, or it didn't work out or something like that. Um, you know, we didn't know how to navigate it. And I think even those first days, it was still kind of, no, I, I would say once we held her, we knew that we had had a daughter that would be a part of our family forever. And so we, I don't know if it was in the hospital, but we very quickly decided to name her Willa. Um, definitely a part of me that thought I wanted to like save this name and blah, blah, blah. And it actually wasn't even my first choice, but she looked like a Willa and it just felt right. Um, giving your baby a name, I think is so important. Um, and I actually read, have read something where they're like, don't save the name, you know, which is funny. Cause I had the same thought of like, Oh, I should save this. And it's like, this is just, this is this experience and honor it and let that baby be whatever that baby is. And you'll figure out the next thing. Um, so we got her cremated. Um, I got a little urn. That's like a it's actually meant for cats, but it's like kitty holding a ball and it just felt like playful and sweet. Um, I, it's funny. I never thought we'd be 
a family with an urn. I always thought urns were super creepy. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's funny how you can change your tune on things because I, we, we love, you know, that piece of her and definitely keep it in a prominent part of our house. And, you know, it's just, and then you start to move on. I, you know, my husband, when he went back to work, got a lot of people to come by and just be with me. I think he was probably a bit concerned about my mental health. So when he went back to work, you know, he dealt with those uncomfortable conversations and he was kind of always offering up, oh, this person said that this person had a stillbirth. Do you want to talk to them? And I was like, no, I didn't. I really wasn't looking for support in that way. Um, I've had people throughout the years reach out to me and say that they've either had a stillbirth or their sister has, you know, would you be willing to talk to them? Or is there anything I can send them or just looking for advice? And I, I wholeheartedly give that to them. I think it's great, but I wasn't that person. I did not want to talk about it. It kind of felt like my experience was so special. And then if I heard about all these other people doing the same thing, that like Willow wouldn't have been this like special thing. I don't know. I just felt like I didn't, I didn't really want to hear how, oh yeah, I, I have the same thing. It's like, no, my pain is, and my love is something special. So it took a while to like really even want to hear about from other people. And that wasn't definitely a path that helped me towards recovery, though I think it could be. And then it's just time, you know, but I think we really quickly realized that we were not going to like jump back on the horse and try to get pregnant again. Um, It's very different and it's different for everyone. But I think that the one thing people could try to understand is that a stillbirth is really the loss of a baby. And we can all have different opinions on when the baby is a baby and blah, blah, blah. All I know is that most people that have a stillbirth, which is post six months, feel very strongly that they have lost a child. And the best thing you can do to support them or just be respectful is to recognize that, is to understand, hey, you had a baby, and what's that baby's name? Yes, ask if they named the baby. Ask what the baby looked like. Like, did she look like you? Or like, what color was her hair? Um, you know, ask details, even about the experience, because that's all that the, a parent of a stillbirth has, is these little moments. You know, I have a box of a little piece of her hair and her hat, and a couple other mementos, and that's kind of it, and a couple photos, and that's all I get of a baby. Instead of, you know, a whole lifetime, you get a couple things, and so you want to share that. You want to talk about it. You want to say their name out loud, and so if somebody around you has a stillbirth, ignoring that it's like even worse. Like I, I didn't get the whole lifetime and now I don't even get the memory or this baby or to talk about it. So, you know, I heard a story once of um, a little bit of an, a different generation, a little bit older and the person had a stillbirth and the family came in and they took all of the baby stuff out of the house. And before the person got like home from the hospital to kind of like hush, hush, like it's all over now. It's good. And it ended up creating this huge rift between them and they like never spoke and the family like, you know, had a really hard time. And I think that we, we think we're being helpful. Um, but like Willa's stuff is 
also still so important to me because that is what I have, you know, and I, I, I get it. It's like, it's just, it's hard for people to understand, you know, my, when my next daughter was born, Ivy, um, we had her maybe, let me think, we had her about three years later. Um, you know, it was hard to kind of, I had Willa's room was kind of a shrine, you know, like, cause we were ready to go. We had her crib, we had everything. Like for once in my life, I was organized and everything looked great. And so that was a really special place that I would go just to think about her and be with her and connect. And then suddenly we had another baby coming into this space, which was hard. Um, and we definitely made it Ivy and Willa's room. And, you know, even to this day in a new house and blah, blah, you know, one of my daughter's dressers has the same stuff that has always been in there. It's Willa's stuff. And, you know, it's her favorite items or my favorite items for her. Um, so, yeah, you just, you, you keep, you want to talk about it. And I think mementos is something interesting and important to talk about because, People are always asking, you know, my my baby's that passed away's birthday is coming up. Like, what do I do to honor them? Um, or this person, I just want to like give them something, do something. So I think besides asking about the baby and and understanding that they have really lost someone and and wanting to share about them, the next thing is mementos. And it's funny, I wouldn't consider myself a big gifter. <laughs> you know, my love language is not gifts necessarily, but we have throughout the years kind of curated these things that it's funny to say, I couldn't tell you even why, but they remind us of Willa or we have thoughtfully purchased that or gotten it from somewhere thinking about her. So as an example, um, you know, we have been on vacation and you know, like there's this one vacation where there was these turtles that you could like swim with. And it was just like really magical. I really love turtles. And so like we found this little turtle thing, you know, like a little figurine. And it just made me think of Willa. And so I got it and then I put it in her crib next to all of her stuff. And we kind of created this this place for these little mementos of like things I thought of her. Um, you know, people would send us things or even as my daughter was born and got older, she will sometimes like, you know, pick up a shell on the beach and say like, this is for Willa and we'll put it next to her urn. Um, right now sitting next to her urn is, um, some pipe cleaners made into flowers that my daughter said was for Willa. Um, so the things can be really nice. Um, so I would say, you know, I unfortunately just heard, um, a, work friend of mine lost a baby uh only around for a couple weeks contracted herpes uh as a newborn which i had no clue was as devastating and dangerous as it is and the bottom line is the majority of newborns if they do contract herpes um will die will actually die and that's the thing it's like sometimes it seems so harsh to say something like babies die because we don't really hear about babies dying we hear all the miracle stories i just saw a story on the news of babies born at 22 weeks and twins and they made it and it's great we hear so many of those stories of the babies that make it against the odds but we kind of forget because we don't hear them about if it's against the odds that means the majority of those babies are passing away and there are parents out there just trying to figure out what the heck to do now. So it's like, and not to be grim, and I don't want people to go into their pregnancy thinking, 
oh my gosh, my baby could die, <laughs> you know? But it is part of all this. And I think we just need to, I think unfortunately when the situation does arise though, people feel very unprepared. Um, so I do, so in that case, um, which is just so sad and just FYI, like that was just somebody with a cold sore kissing a baby, you know, like in the first couple of days of life and, and that's it. Um, so I did send um, that mother a necklace with the baby's initial on it. Um, I got very into W's for a long time. And one of the very first things that I got was um, a W necklace, something very small that I wore every day. And that necklace was definitely very important to me. And I, you know, it seems like the necklace that I sent this woman has also been, you know, helping her in some way. But I think that like um, buying someone uh, a necklace or something with the baby's birthstone or name, especially a name, because think about it, that's all you got is a name. <laughs> so that's going to be really, really powerful if you're trying to get something for someone, help them in some way. But yeah, and then the days just the days just go on. And I think as anyone that has lost a parent or a partner or anyone or a child, you know, it seems at some points unfathomable to think that you could continue on, but you do. Um, there's a lot of things that I forced myself into. And I just told myself that like future Nikki would kick you if you didn't go to this thing. You know, I had some really great opportunities pretty shortly after Willa. Um, and I went and it's like, you can really disassociate in some ways. Um, I remember when I shot my first show that I was the host of um, on the Food Network, I was still, I was on the road and I still was bringing Willa's things on the road with me. Cause like, I mean, I was not fully healed. This was probably, I don't know, maybe a year or two after Willa passed away. Um, you know, like I, there was, it's like you can be such a normal functioning person and then still have these like very raw emotional moments. Um, I really loved this like, uh, kind of like a uh, a jacket thing that you put a baby in, but it's all, you know, from the heads to the toes. And so it's what I always kind of pictured taking her home from the hospital in. And because it was kind of the size of a baby, there was something very comforting about just like holding it. And, and yes, to a degree, like pretending I was holding her, you know, like we, you know, um, my husband's shirt for a long time smelled like her or the hospital. I don't know what it was, but it reminded me of her. And I remember the day that it got wet and like ended up in the laundry and I was devastated. And you lose, you lose those things slowly, but you gain them too. You know, we, um, on one of her birthdays bought her, we went to a flower shop and, uh, I have a garden even when I was in the city. And so we bought a specific plant that I just kind of walked around until one spoke to me. It's a lantana. And now like the lantana is, you know, Willa's plant. And so we have, always had a lantana one time one of them died and I was devastated again and I had to tell myself that that's not my baby it's just a plant I'll get another plant um you know you hold on to these things and so like there's a lot of things that you can do and I think when it comes to celebrating throughout the years you know we have lit lanterns and put them on a lake um the first quite a few years we did a lot of trips um often to somewhere like naturey hiking somewhere kind of quiet and just took time to think of her. We would light candles. Um, you know, it's just like these little things that 
and you can take from traditions of any culture, any religion. Um, sometimes I would just hear something. I thought that sounds nice, you know, and I would just do it. Of course, I wanted to know more about Willa's Lemonade Cheesecake, which was a recipe from Nikki's first cookbook, Meat on the Side, and why it was so important for her to continue sharing Willa's story. I also wanted to know how she shares Willa with her other children, and what does she do to feel connected to her daughter? So um, when I wrote my first cookbook, which was another thing that I probably wasn't prepared for mentally, (laughs) but it was a great opportunity. When I wrote that first cookbook, um, Meat on the Side, the I decided to include my last recipe was some uh, lemon cheesecakes. And the reason that I did that was because when I was pregnant with her, I just loved lemonade. Like that's the one thing I always wanted. Oh, tasted never tasted better than when I was pregnant. And I just loved like lemonade and sugar. And so a dessert featuring lemons felt very appropriate. And I wanted to put that in the book because I wanted to share. And I think it's a little bit of a tricky thing, especially if you have any sort of um, following. But even if you don't, just sharing with friends and family, it kind of feels like a little icky or you're kind of expecting people to be like, oh, she like is trying to get our attention or be like, woe is me. And, you know, and there's that's a hard thing to navigate. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Sharing Willa, even in this way, does two things for me. It allows me to talk about my baby, which is a pretty fucking great thing. It's a highlight of my day. And two, you have to talk about it. Because if we're not talking about it, nobody knows. Nobody. The things that I think are obvious, like, oh, of course you would ask the name of the baby. People don't know. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like, this woman at work just lost a baby. Like, what am I supposed to say? Be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, did you name the baby? Oh. That is a beautiful name. And then maybe get them a token at some point if that's like, you know, it depends on your relationship. But if we don't talk about these things, we don't know that. We don't know anything. Um, so I continue to to share it. Um, Willa's birthday actually is coming up um, in November. So, you know, usually for her birthday, especially at this point, we are so lucky to have three children in our house. Um, and her birthday falls basically right on Thanksgiving, sometimes actually on Thanksgiving. And so we often have family around, which has been sometimes interesting to navigate because I want that quiet time celebrating her, but we have extra people around. So now a lot of times her birthday looks like, you know, I will get um, a craft for all the kids. Like we'll get a bunch of like wooden W's and we'll paint them um, or wooden hearts. We will, uh, the last year, last year we uh, made a little plant. I got like kitty plant holders because her urn is a cat. And I got all the kids little fake flowers to make little cute arrangements that then they could keep in their rooms, you know, going off to Boston and Baton Rouge and these different places where they lived and that they could think of Willa. Um, So there's like, there's a lot of wonderful things I think you can do and, you know, it just fucking sucks, but you keep going. (laughs) You know, when Ivy was born, we definitely knew that we weren't going to shy away from telling her that she had a sister who wasn't here named Willa. Um, that was a decision that I think we had to make because we were like, we're not, we can't like not talk about Willa. Willa was such at that point, especially like such a huge part of our life. Um, so we did, we told Ivy really early on that you do have a sister, you know, like, but she can't be here. And, um, throughout the years, like she's asked different questions that we've tried to navigate and, you know, um, 
we don't have a strong belief, so it's not so easy to be like, that baby's in heaven or that baby's here. You know, I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. And they want to know why Willa can't be here. Um, my twins are a bit younger. Ivy's seven now. The twins are just turned five. Um, and they sometimes ask more questions like, you know, is she going to get better? Can she come? Like, why isn't she here? And I just make sure that it's never like about her not wanting to be here. It's like, you know, I say things like her, you know, her body just wasn't strong enough or I know she's so sad she wants to be here, baby. Like, um, but we really do. I mean, most of my kids, if you ask them, like, how many people are in their family, they would include Willa. Um, you know, I write that on the note sometimes when they first attend a new school, like, just, you know, like, you know, in case they randomly talk about Willa. We probably talked about her more with my first daughter. And I think Ivy and Willa have a really strong connection. And Ivy definitely, like, will from time to time be like, I miss Willa. And I go, I miss her too, baby. You know, like, and she's like, I just want her to be here. And I was like, oh, me too, you know? But that's like what it is. And I guess I guess it's a hard thing to navigate. And maybe people don't want to share all that with their children. It's like, but it's just the bottom line is there's someone here that we love and they're not here. And so, you know, it's just, that's what we say. Um, and if it's awkward to somebody else, or if like somebody sees that urn and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, actually. Um, or I can think of a time being on set where I had a bracelet that very, um, you couldn't really tell that it said Willa. The script was like all kind of in just like a pattern. And they were like, that is so cool. And they're like, is that a W? And I was like, yeah, actually, it's a name, you know? And then it's like pretty quickly, you're like, yeah, it's my daughter. She passed away. Like, you know? Um, but I find that I just say it. I just kind of put it out there. Um, I tend to be a, a pretty honest, real person. And so that is a big part of me. And so I'm not very afraid of people knowing that about me. You know, like, yeah, that's, you know, that's a really hard thing. And then we move on. I always, I mean, like, I feel genuinely connected to her. Um, I always, you know, I mean, her urn is in our bedroom. Me and my husband both kiss it at least once a day. Um, you know, she's part of our routine and part of like, yeah, I feel, I can feel her. Like, it sounds so silly, but like, I can just like feel her. She's like kind of like a purple light. Like, she just... I don't know. I mean, I feel something. And I, like I said, I'm not super religious. And so I don't know what happens and I don't know. And I don't, and I wish I had, I think there'd be a lot of solace in thinking that I was going to see her again. I don't, I don't know that. And I probably don't actually believe that to be honest, um, which is hard, which is really hard. Uh, but I, but I have a relationship with her right now. I feel her, you know, I definitely feel her. Like she's, she's there's her energy was here we will forever be connected you know it's just it's just frustrating when you can't change anything like she will never be here though like you just think I I've always in my life worked so hard for things and if I want something I just work my ass off and I get it I always get it I really do like because I'm willing to work hard enough you know and this is just something that you've got to really like take is like there's nothing you can do and that that's probably the hardest thing that's the thing I think I dealt with the most in the last couple of years is I'd say that around Willa frustration a little bit of anger is probably more of my emotions than like sadness it's just so frustrating I asked Nikki what she would say to somebody who is currently experiencing the loss of an infant or a child and here's what she said you feel your emotions you know I remember 
the first time that I enjoyed food again, and I was like, ooh, that pasta is effing good. And I was so, I felt so guilty, you know, like how could I, how could I enjoy anything when my baby is not here? And your baby will always be bigger than anything. And I get it. I would give anything to bring her back. Like, I'm very afraid of death and I would absolutely die. I'd be like, I'll figure it out. You know, like we're willing to give so much and yet you can't do anything. So just be kind with yourself and you're allowed to be happy again. It does not mean that you don't love your baby and you are allowed to talk about them and do whatever you like. But I would just say, you know, you have a child and you're going to continue to love them and you're going to grieve a very severe loss and you are going to be okay. You know, sometimes we don't even want to be okay. I think sometimes when we're not okay, it really shows our devotion, you know, but you will be okay. Um, and not okay. I mean, we're very different since Willa. It changed everything. It changed me and my husband's relationship. And I think luckily not a negative way because that can happen too. But just accept that you have a really big thing happening and give yourself grace and don't think you have to immediately be back to normal. But also it's okay if you're back to normal. It's all okay, you know? Like we just got to be a little kinder with ourselves and not have to worry so much about like the next thing or being okay. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing your story so beautifully and so honestly. We know that it will support so many people who are currently experiencing this loss. And thank you for sharing Willa with us. We will remember her always. If you would like to make Willa's Lemonade Cheesecakes, you can head to Nikki's website for the recipe or check out the recipe in her cookbook, Meat on the Side. Everything is linked in the show notes. A Fresh Story is produced by Fresh Starts Registry. A heartfelt thank you to all of the women who share their stories in this special series. And a special thank you to Alex Mooney, who has been our special consultant for these episodes. If you are experiencing pregnancy or infant loss, we hope that these episodes helped you feel a little bit less alone. We love you and we are holding you close.